Welcome to Marysville Church of Christ, the teaching podcast, where we're going to jump into our weekly sermons. This sermon, given by Jeff Darby, is entitled, The Moment That Changes Everything. Without further ado, here's the lesson. You know, this week I've been thinking a lot about the fact that there are times in our life where everything changes in a moment, in the snap of a finger, in the blink of an eye. Life as we expected it, life as we planned it, life as we anticipated it is drastically different. The reality of today is not what yesterday, last week, and last month that we planned for it to be. It's pretty obvious why I'm thinking that because here as we sit and talk together this morning as we are looking out over uh, the possibilities of this week upcoming, in so many ways this isn't the week that many of us planned. This isn't the way that we anticipated that things would be. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in the uh, week that's coming, but I can I can um, say with some assurance that this probably isn't the week that you had anticipated. It certainly isn't for me. Probably a lot of you are in the same boat that I'm in, that I was planning to um, have this church service this morning. We were going to come together. We were going to worship God together. We were going to have this wonderful opportunity to, to be uh, with one another, to surround the Lord's table, to be able to read God's Word together, to have a lesson together, to give big hugs and big high fives as we walked out laughing, jump home, and start packing because uh, bright and early tomorrow morning. My family's been planning for months now to head out of town on spring break trip. Spring break for a lot of you as well. Chances are good that a lot of you have spring break plans. I don't know what your week is upcoming, but I can almost guarantee none of you planned for the week that we have coming. What do you do? What do you do when something happens that changes everything? What do you do when your future changes in a moment? What do you do when the best laid plans, when the expectations of the future, what do you do when what everything that you believe is going to go a certain way, the trajectory of life is laid out in such a pattern that you look forward and you say, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then we have this coming up, and this is going to be the plan, this is going to be the expectation. What do you do when all of that changes? Well, I don't know about you, but a lot of us, <clears throat> and myself very much in this camp, uh, we have this desire to say, how quickly can we get back to normal? How quickly can we get back to what we expected? How quickly can we get back to normal? But you know what? Sometimes in life there are realities. There are situations, circumstances that come along. And frankly, there's just no getting back to normal. There, there's, a, there's a moment where something comes in and changes things so drastically. There is just no putting the pieces back in the box the way they were. Now it's a matter of how do we move forward from here? And how is life different now? How do we do things in a new way? I've used an expression this week more than I've used probably in a decade, and it's the new norm. And many times I've been talking with people, talking with my family, talking about um, the, the new norm. What is the new norm going to be? Because the reality is the circumstance we're in right now is one that probably is going to bring with it a new set of normals in the future. So all that being said, what do you do? What do you do with a moment that comes in and changes Everything. Well, it got me thinking about a passage of Scripture in the Bible that I think really does kind of um, identify a moment like that. Now, you can go ahead and be opening in your Bibles, uh, flip those pages, and let's get over to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. We're only going to be looking at about the first five verses of this this morning. But uh, before we get into this, let me, let me go back and, and, and make sure that everybody's aware of what's happened in the uh, chapters that have um, transpired prior to this particular chapter. You know, being in the early church at this point is pretty idyllic. It's, it's a pretty beautiful experience. It's a pretty marvelous thing. 
You have the day of Pentecost and you have this, this beautiful outpouring of God's power, the Holy Spirit coming down and, and all the, the miraculous things that are associated with this wonderful first day where thousands of people put on Jesus Christ in baptism and this new movement is, is established and there's this wonderful excitement, this anticipation. In the ensuing chapters, you have the people who are meeting together in their homes day by day. They're going in the temple courts. They're praising God together. They're worshiping God together. When they have poor among them, they're taking care of them. They're selling everything they need to to be able to take care of the needs of the people. They set up means by which the uh, the, the most disadvantaged members of their Christian communities, the, the, the widows, uh, are taken care of. They have people to support them. It is absolutely, in every possible way that you look at it, a truly idyllic situation. It is marvelous. You know, it probably is true that those people anticipated that that's just the way it was going to be. That's just the way the church was going to go, right? That's the trajectory. It had this wonderful start. It's continuing to be this wonderful, warm and comfortable and beautiful and and uplifting place where people love God and serve one another. And and this is just going to be the way that it moves from here on. But the reality is there came a moment in Acts chapter 7 where everything changed. And it wasn't from that point forward, how do we get things back to normal? How do we get things back to the way they were? How do we get all the pieces to fit back in the box again? Because there was no box. There was no future. Everything was totally different from what they had ever expected and anticipated that it was going to be. The event that took place in chapter 7, of course, you'll remember is the stoning of Stephen. Stephen, this great evangelist, this deacon, this great servant of God who was blessed by the Holy Spirit with miraculous powers and a wonderful ability to convict and, and, to, um, uh, and to teach Well, he was drug outside the city and he was stoned until he was dead. And in that moment, a great persecution arose in the church. It's what we're going to see introduced here in chapter 8. And then there wasn't any coming back from that. There wasn't anything that was going to bring them back to normal as they knew it because now a new norm had been introduced. A new day had arisen in which everything that they had anticipated to this point was now changed. They were going to play by a different set of rules. So when we think about the lesson, we think about the question, we think about the the idea of how do we come back from a day in which everything that we know has changed? Maybe it would be wise for us to go back to a day when everything did change. And let's see how they dealt with it. And maybe from that we'll be able to draw some conclusions as to how we can today deal with a situation like that. I'm in chapter 8, and I'm starting in verse 1. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Of course, you'll remember that him there is Stephen we just spoke of in chapter 7. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church, and he entered house to house, dragging off men and women, and put them into prison. So when those who were scattered went on their way, proclaiming the message of good news, and Philip went down to a city of Samaria and preached the Messiah to them. There in those few verses right there, we have two things that are very clearly depicted for us. One was how everything changed. One day it was an idyllic, wonderful, peaceful, loving, encouraging, self-supportive environment. The next day it was devastated. They were chased off, they were scrambling, they were running, they were fleeing for their lives. Everything was changed. Everything was different. But also in that, in those few short verses right there, we have a picture of what they did and how they began to put the pieces back together and how they moved forward in a situation like that. This morning we're going to draw some conclusions from, some ideas from what they did and what that teaches us that we can do. 
But I want to share with you, first of all, a story that I heard this week that I, um, I had not heard before, but I found it to be a very in- insightful story along the lines of this particular topic. How do you come back from a day where everything changes? It was in the late 60s, and her name was Laura Welch. Laura was a 17-year-old girl, and she was um, uh, from a middle upper, um, an upper middle class uh, family. And um, Laura's whole world really revolved around her friends and her school and her new boyfriend and, and music. She loved music. In fact, music had the big part in the story that, uh, that she told many years later, the day that changed her life. She relates that uh, she was driving in her new car, which was a gift from her father, and she had two of her friends with her, and they were listening to music on the radio. They were driving through town and and singing along with the radio, not really paying enough attention. And sure enough, as they came upon an unfamiliar intersection to the young and inexperienced driver, Laura shot through a stop sign, not even seeing it. And as fate, unfortunate though it may be, as fate would have it, a car happened to be traveling through that intersection at a high rate of speed, and those two cars collided. And in that ensuing accident, the driver of the other car, who was not wearing a seatbelt, was ejected through the windshield and died right there on the site. What's made even more tragic about this is the true story that uh, Laura ran to that driver, realizing before she ever got there, having recognized the car, that it was her boyfriend. And he was pronounced dead on the site. This is a a moment where for Laura everything changed. There's no getting back to normal from this. This is not the future that she planned for herself. This is not the trajectory of her life that she foresaw. This was something that was devastating. And it took her a long time. It took her many years, in fact, uh, before she was able to really uh, dig out from under the guilt and the shame and the, and the dread and the pain that she was feeling in this time. But the good news for her was that she came from a family that loved the Lord and had taught her from a very young age about a relationship that she should have with Jesus Christ. And, and during this time, she relates that she leaned more deeply and more heavily into that relationship. She drew closer to God. She drew closer to Christ. And she really um, uh, doubled down on matters of her faith. She swore that she would never again be in a relationship, wasn't deserving of it, couldn't bear to think of herself in such a one again. But but God in his infinite grace and love flowed into her life a, a healing and a peace that eventually allowed her a few years later to to finally open herself to the possibility of dating once again. And and sure enough, a young man came into her life, a young man that uh, swept her off her feet and while they had a slow and, and methodical courtship, it was, uh, it was a very um, exciting one for Laura. And she eventually did get married to this young man, and they had children together. And life was really beginning to move in a very beautiful and wonderful way for Laura and her new husband. Few children now and a great business that he was involved in, succeeding in a wild way. In fact, probably, truth be told, succeeding too fast and succeeding in a way that was too great for his, um, for his capacity to be able to manage the success he was having. He fell into all kinds of problems with drinking and with carousing and um, had never really 
let himself become very seriously invested in the faith that was very important to his wife and very important to his children. It had always been something very distant to him. Well, finally, Laura had had enough, and so uh, George came home one day, and, and opening the front door, he found Laura and their kids there with the bags packed, and she made the pronouncement. She said, George, you can get right with God. You can straighten out your life. You can recommit to this marriage, and you can get off the alcohol, or we're gone, and we're not coming back. And so they did leave for a brief time, and so finally there was some time there that finally he, he came to the conclusion that he decided he really needed to make sure that he was able to get this under control. And so the first step he took was to recommit his relationship with God, to become more deeply invested in that. He got serious about sobriety. He got serious about family and life balance. And they were able together, Laura and George, to put together a very happy home. And a very successful life. We don't remember Laura Welch by her maiden name. But we do remember Laura and George Bush. And we remember the life that they put together in the White House. And indeed, years later, this story was told by her to a news outlet. Wherein she, to a secular news source, related how it was her relationship with God. And her faith in God in a difficult and trying moment. A moment where we might say... You don't come back from that. A moment where you might say everything changed. A moment where you might say there is now no possibility of the normal life that I had anticipated. She said the only way I made it through it, the only way we had success from that point forward was through our relationship with God. So that story tells us, as we already know, that the only way we make it through a moment like this where everything changes is to deepen our relationship with God, to take a step in the direction of God, to, to walk into our faith and to allow God to make a more profound impact in our life. Let's go back to our text now and let's see how that relates to the way that this early church dealt with a day that everything changed. Notice at the end of that reading there in verse 4 and verse 5, these words, So those who were scattered went on their way proclaiming the message of the good news. You see, these people were scattered. They were chased from their home. They, they were in fear of their life. They were being drugged out of their homes and thrown into prison. Many of them, we find out later from Paul's writings, would actually lose their life for the cause of the gospel. And in the midst of all this, what was their answer? What was their step? What was their, what was their um, reaction to this? It was to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those with whom they come in contact. You see, they found something to be true that we would be wise to find true as well that when those moments come that change everything the only thing we can really connect to and dig deeply into is our relationship with God and our desire to step boldly into our faith notice also that it wasn't just those but it was also Philip in verse 5 Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached the Messiah to them and later in verses it tells us that he was very successful in bringing many people to come to know Jesus Christ Philip, a fellow evangelist, a fellow deacon, a fellow servant, a, a, a close confidant of Stephen, must have been heartbroken to see what had happened to his friend and fearful for his own life. And what happens in a moment like that when everything that Philip had anticipated his future being was suddenly and drastically changed? Well, he went preaching. He stepped more deeply into his relationship with God. And he took the next best step 
towards Jesus Christ. He did the next best thing. The next, you'll excuse me, a little Frozen 2 reference, the next right thing. I was really pleased, as a lot of you probably were too, to see that Disney had um, given an early release to Frozen 2. I'd not seen Frozen 2. My family had, and we watched it together on Disney Plus the other day, and it was really neat to see a song featured very prominently in that movie where one of the female characters was singing about how in difficult times it's so significant, so important, that we make the next right step, that we do the next best thing that we know to do. And, you know, relating that back into our storyline here today, what I just keep thinking is that the very next best thing that we can do in a situation where everything in our future seems to have changed is to take the step of faith towards Jesus Christ, to take the step of faith that's presented to us and leading us closer to God. That's exactly what we see happening in these stories that now come together as we conclude. Laura Welch, she took a step of faith that led her to healing and opened her to love. George, he took a step of faith that led him to sobriety and a happy marriage and a successful life. We've got the early Christians there at the the city of Jerusalem who were, were scattered and they took the step of faith to share the good news with those with whom they came in contact. We have Philip, the evangelist, who despite the fact that he was chased from his homeland, he he took the next step of faith that led him to preach the gospel to the Samaritan people and to have a great ministry. And one of the reasons why I think all of these examples are so meaningful and so powerful are that they are all taking steps in faith towards Jesus Christ. And if there was ever anyone that walked upon this earth that could understand what the power of one day can mean, one moment that changes everything, because nobody experienced a moment that was more catastrophic and more life-changing and more future-altering than Jesus did the day that he lovingly spread his arms out onto a cross and, and accepted the nails into his hands and his feet and, and shed his blood for me and you. And that was a day that changed everything for him, changed everything for us, and changed everything for the world. There was no getting back to the normal after that. The pieces didn't go back in the box. It wasn't that they were going to find a way to get back to the way it was a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful that that's the case because the world we live in today was shaped by one who understood the power of a moment that changes everything? Doesn't it make sense that when we find ourselves in a situation where a moment changes everything, that the most logical thing we can do is take a step of faith towards the one who experienced a moment like that and came through it victorious, who came through it uh, triumphant, and who invites us to come and share with that same kind of triumphant future. I know that next week isn't what you planned, and the week after that, the, the month after that, and perhaps a year from now, there will still be within us this great desire to try to get things back to the way they were. And to some extent, I hope we can do that. But I hope we don't get so caught up in trying to get things back to the way that they were that we misunderstand or or we miss the beauty of what it means in these uncertain times to take a bold step of faith towards Jesus Christ, a step of faith that leads us closer to God and a recognition that whatever the future holds, we know He is going to be there and we know that He's going to lead us through it. 
This last week, there have been many a night that I've been uh, restless in my in my bed trying to get a good night's sleep and unable to do so. And, and um, I have to relate to you that uh, early in the morning hours, I found myself awake and uh, in my little prayer room and and was was trying to talk to God about all the things that are on my mind and all the insecurities that I'm feeling and all the worries that I have and all the burdens that are there and, and the fears that are mine. And, and through it all, I just kept hearing, hearing the words to an old song. And I think sincerely that they were a gift, that he gave me a blessing that he uh, offered to reassure my troubled mind. And it was a song that I love very much, Peace, Perfect Peace. And the second verse of that song, Peace, Perfect Peace, Our Future All Unknown. Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I don't know what next week will hold. I don't know what a month, a year, a decade from now is going to be. But I do know this. Jesus is on his throne and the one who endured a moment that changed everything is the one who can help us to endure this moment that changes everything. Can we trust him this week? Can we lean into him? Can we do the next right thing? Take the next right step. Can we move in the direction of faith? As we say, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I do know this. Jesus is on his throne. And for that, we can be grateful. Let's let that be the concluding thought that we end with today. Peace, perfect peace. Our future all unknown. But Jesus we know. And he's on the throne. God bless you all.